Is that your prayer? That's more important than barbecue and watermelon and homemade ice cream, I can tell you. Let me say this before we get into the Word of God today. Uh, First, we're glad to have Scott and Bird, our missionaries to North Carolina. They are still, they don't quite sound like they're from North Carolina yet, so they've got a ways to go, but we're glad to have them back with us. Let me say this, uh, I mentioned last week, beginning this Wednesday night, we're going to have, summer's always different things we try to do here, but uh, for the month of June, on Wednesday night and on Sunday, so that means Sunday services will be different, won't have the prayer, won't have the uh, family festival or anything for Sunday night, uh, the Sunday night services. We're going to have Financial Peace University, it's going to be trying to help everybody get their financial house in order you say that's not very spiritual for a church oh yeah jesus spoke more about that than heaven and hell and we're all going to be stewards you're either going to be a good steward of what god's entrusted in your life you'll be a bad steward uh a lot of people have asked me i might miss a couple of them or i'm i'm teaching on wednesday night i can't be at both uh well if you sign up we can get you where you have access to the uh, videos yourself whenever you miss. But we want you to be a part every chance you can because that's very important. Danny Etheridge is going to be leading the practical follow-up and so forth at the end of each film. But it's for everybody. Everybody's not in the same financial shape. I'm smart enough to know that. But, I, but everybody can learn and can grow. Uh, if you're old and you're on a limited fixed income, uh, this, you need help. You're going to need help in these tough da- days in which we live financially. If you're a young married person, you ought to run over people to get over and sign up. Uh, I was listening to one of his tapes the other day, previewing it, and he said the average, I don't know the exact number, he said the average car payment is $540 or something like that. He said if a person was in financial shape where they were instead of paying that to the car dealer for a car that's gone down in value, just invested it, when they got ready to retire, they'd have between 5 and $7 million. Most people aren't good givers because they owe their soul to the company store. The, the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. Uh, there's so many biblical principles. And I, I say, if you haven't signed up, please sign up today. We have to order the uh, books and have everybody in line. So at the conclusion of the service, if you would sign up, if you miss a class, that's okay. We've got that covered. You can get those classes and you can make them up. So please be a part of this if you can. We've, uh, yes, the other day we had 46 families signed up, but I'd like to see uh, more than that. So I pray that you will do that. And I will forget to tell you again, so I'm telling you now. So remember it after the service to please sign up on the bulletin board. All right, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're just going through it chapter at a time. I'm not going to a lot of depth because it covers so much uh, stuff. But today kind of goes along with the theme of uh, Memorial Day and our government and so forth. And I entitled it Dealing with Evil Authorities. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So if you've got your Bible, let's go to Ecclesiastes. Let's read together. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for bad causes, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Okay, there is a big problem in this life. For all of us, we have people that tell us what to do. A lot of people that tell us what to do. Uh, That doesn't mean they're smarter than us. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean that they're more righteous than us, but they have authority over us. Now, how do we deal with that? Uh, as a child, 
you're under the authority of your parents. As a student in school, you're under the authority of your teachers and principals and administration. Uh, we're all under the authority of the law enforcement. If, if you've got a job as an employee, you're under the authority of your boss. We're all as citizens under the authority of a government. What do we do when things go against what we believe, what we feel, the way we, uh, you know, we think, we think the world's evolved and there's not, not, not as much evil in the world today as it used to be. You know, you look in the Bible and you see people like Pharaoh and Sennacherib and Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and the Caesars and all, and we think we've progressed a long way from that. No, we haven't. Uh, I don't know how many have heard of Ivan the Terrible or Vlad the Impaler or Leopold II or Genghis Khan or Adolf Hitler, what everyone's heard. Let me give you some example of evil people that were in authority over others over throughout history. This is more in our day. Idi Amin, he was the third president of Uganda. He reigned from 1971 to 1979. He launched a coup against the previous president, or the one at the sitting president, took office, murdered between 300 and 500,000 of his own people. Oh, and by the way, he was also said to be a cannibal and ate some of the people. Saddam Hussein reigned over Iraq from 1979 to 2003. He died in 2006. Estimated to have killed between 250,000 to a million of his people. He was arrested, imprisoned, tortured. Many of, he arrested, imprisoned, and tortured many of his people. He even sprayed the Kurdish people with chemical weapons. But his favorite song was, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Pol Pot reigned from 1963 to 1981, died in 1998, transformed Cambodia into a one-party state, killed between one and a half and two million people. You've read or saw the movie or documentary on the killing fields. Mass shootings, forced labor, torture, starvation, terrible. Joseph Stalin, 1924 to 1953, Responsible for killing over 40 million people. Genghis Khan, he's back in 1206 to 1227. He's responsible for killing 40 million people. Now, in 1200, the population of the world was not but about 400 million. So he killed almost a tenth of the world. Mao Zedong, China, 1949-1976. Killed between, had killed between 55 and 70 million people. Here's some things you may not know. Hitler and Stalin were once on Time Magazine's Man of the Year cover. Thank you, Time. 1980, Saddam Hussein was given the key to the city of Detroit, Michigan. Prisoners in the Soviet Union often got tattoos of Stalin or Lenin on their body because the Wardens and the guards would not shoot those images. Joseph Stalin's son tried to kill himself, did not succeed. Stalin, that great father that he was, remarked his son couldn't shoot straight. In 2003, American soldiers, when they went into Saddam Hussein's palace, they found $650 million in the walls. Mussolini, that Italian dictator in his day, back in the 20s and 30s, he offered $2,000 to any couple that would name their child after him. Now, that would be like offering 40-something thousand dollars in today's money. Would you name your child something like that? That's, that's the kind of egos and kind of mentality some of these authoritarians, you know, I thought, I can't even say it, authoritarians can say. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> authoritarians. Um, a lot of people look at mankind and say, man, mankind is basically everybody's good people. There's just once in a while you'll find a bad one. Well, that's not necessarily what the Bible describes it. But listen to this. Jay Austin and Lauren Guhagen, age 29, quit their jobs to take a year-long bike trip around the world. They were in Morocco, and Austin wrote in his journal, 
You watch the news and you read the papers and you're led to believe that the world's a big, scary place. People are not to be trusted. People are bad. People are evil. People are axe murderers and monsters and worse. I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow human beings holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own. Badness may exist, but sure, uh, it's very, very rare. By and large, humans are kind, uh, generous, wonderful, and kind. No greater revelation has come from our bike journey than this. Three days later, they were both stabbed to death. There is evil. What do you do when there's evil and there's people in authority over you as a child of God? We're going to look at that today and look at it through the wisdom of Solomon. Now, let's look at the problem of evil for just a moment, the deception that comes with it. There was a story one time of a man was on a deserted island for like 25, 30 years. And finally a ship came close to the island and he made some smoke signals and everything, and they saw it, and they sent a small boat over there to see, investigate it, and they found out who he was, and he'd been on that island for like 25, 30 years, and he was so glad somebody finally rescued him. And the guy that was on the boat, he said, here, I want you to look at this. He said, what is this? Is this the newspaper? I want you to read that and see if you want to be rescued. This is what's going on in the world. Uh, that's unfortunately the way it is today. Man has made great strides in knowledge and technology. We've put a man on the moon. We can change organs in the body, heart transplants, all these different things. We can build robots that can operate on people. But our knowledge and our understanding about this thing called evil has not progressed too much. We still don't understand the depth of sin and, and things like that. Science looks at it, and here's science's view. They, they study the brains of evil people, that serial killers and people like that. And this is what they said that they kind of discovered. Uh, those who did evil things like that had low levels of prefrontal ventromedial activation in their brain. So now that makes me feel a lot better. People like Bundy and, and Jeffrey Dahmer and all they had low levels of something in their brain. Well, science doesn't believe in the supernatural. They do not believe in Satan and demonic things and things like this. Uh, but that's, that's only their way of describing it. What's sad is we've come to a place, and the Bible said we'd come to a place where evil is called good, and good is called evil. That's where we are today. Listen to this. This is, this is the truth. If I say nothing else today, that you need to listen to this. This is a statement. It says this. This is how evil progresses in a society. First, society begins to overlook it. Then they begin to permit it. Then they legalize evil. Then they promote evil. Then they celebrate evil. And then the last stage, they persecute those who still call it evil. That's where we've tumbled down to today. Now, the first verse of chapter 8 here, who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearances. Now, uh, let's look at this. He's very frustrated, uh, but we all get frustrated with evil. Solomon starts off, once again, putting in a plug for wisdom because his, that was the, the answer to his prayer uh, he wanted wisdom to be able to lead these people, and he was the wisest man of that area of the world at that time. He was a very wise man. Uh, and so that's, that's what we want to have wisdom where we can understand, have insight to what's going on, and, and especially godly wisdom. But we don't understand why and how to deal with it sometimes. What do you do when your country or your nation is telling you to do things that go against your Christian values and beliefs? What do you do if your boss man on the job, tell, he's cheating a little bit, doing some things, and he's asking you to do things that go against your character and what you believe you should do as a Christian? Do you submit to authority? Do you do something else? You try to find another job, whatever. We're constantly being 
uh, looking at this situation. How do we deal with those in authority that are doing things that are wrong? The Jews lived under the dictatorships and the evil authorities for a lot of their history. They had evil people that were controlling them, oppressing them, and so forth. So that's what we're going to look at a little bit today uh, in this message. Let's look at the Christian's response to evil, first of all, and I'm going to get there started in just a moment. The act of rebellion. A lot of people think anything that an authority figure tries to get you to do, just rebel against it and go against it. Well, that's simpler than it sounds. Uh, if we rebel against everything that we don't agree with in life, you'll be rebelling every day of your life. There's a lot of things that goes on I don't agree with. I can promise you that. Uh, prisons are full of people that don't agree and don't want anybody in authority over them, and they take the law in their own hands. They're going to do what they want to do. That's what prisons are full of. People, a lot of times, that are rebelling like that. Now, the very first sin in the Bible was the sin of rebellion, where Lucifer rebelled against God. The very first sin on earth was rebellion. Adam and Eve, God said, you can have everything, don't mess with that. Satan whispered in their ear, they said, we're going to do it our way instead of God's way. That was rebellion. They were rebelling against his authority, making decisions over their life or so forth. Now, we always say that uh, in, in raising children, beware of the terrible twos. When they get to be two, when they start toddling and walking around, boy, that's going to be a tough year. I say beware of the terrible teens. Uh, you got more coming, I can promise you that, because a lot of times teenagers, that's the, that's the years when they start breaking away from their parents and start doing their own thing, and a lot of times they rebel at that stage. Pray, pray that they don't. One teen said this to their parents. The teenager was rebelling against their parents, and they blamed their parents. They said, you made us this way. You made me act like this. You taught me things that, and made me watch things that taught me how to rebel. He said, how did we do that? And here's, what, here's what they said. Well, you showed me Snow White, a woman that lived alone with seven men. You showed me Pinocchio, who was a liar, Robin Hood, who was a thief, Tarzan, who ran around with no clothes on. A stranger kissed Snow White, and she married him. You're showing me all these things uh, that lead to rebellion. Well, that's kind of an off way of looking at it, but here's what rebellion is. Rebellion is defiance, resistance, or undermining an authority. Rebellion against God is the sin of witchcraft. That's what the Bible says. Now, why would God say rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? Because when you're rebelling against God's authorities, whatever it may be, you're willfully choosing to be led by another spirit. You're coming against God's plan. Unbridled rebellion against civil authority. If we just, every time we don't like something in the government, so to speak, we just rebel against it and start a war or whatever, that's going too far usually. That's anarchy. That's what we got to witness. When, you, when you're pulling down statues and burning buildings and going in there and just stealing everything, that's anarchy. That ain't, that ain't uh, nothing but that. And that's not what Christians are supposed to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you the three things and. Uh, Solomon's going to mention them. Three things we have to do even though we're under authority that is not necessarily godly authority. You're going to have to obey. There's going to be times when you're going to need to disobey. And there's going to be times you're going to need to discern the difference because each situation is different or the timing is different. So let's look at it today. All right, first thing, obedience to those in authority. Look at verses 2, 4. In the first part of verse 5, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? You can't question. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. Okay, he gives you three things. Uh, Obey because you've kind of pledged yourself to him. Some people think that scripture is talking about people that work in the government. You've made a vow. Well, all of us, in a way, have pledged to be under the authority of government. Uh, 
and I'll get into that a little bit more in detail in just a moment. Uh, you know, when a politician stands up there and, and swears to uphold the Constitution, well, we as citizens, we as Christians, we, we pledge to go by the law, go by the, the Constitution. That's, that's what we're here for. We're submitting ourselves to those in government over us. Number, verse 4, he says that another reason you need to obey is because the government's bigger than you. You know, you say that you can't fight City Hall. Well, you're having a hard time fighting against something that big. And then in verse 5, he says, uh, you know, if you come against it, you're, you're going to be punished. You don't want to be fighting. You'll have to deal with it. Now, a lot of people say there's three, there's three things Christians should not talk about, especially not in church, but anytime. One is money. I've already mentioned that. Uh, you shouldn't talk about money. And I'm not all for these people that is constantly begging for money on TV and stuff. I'm, I'm totally against that, too. But money is not something you shy away from because I told you earlier, God says more about money than any other subject just about. Number two, they say you ought not to talk about is religion. You ever heard people say, my religion is a personal and private thing? Well, your religion is not Christianity because he tells us not only are we supposed to talk about it, we're supposed to tell them the way of salvation. And not only that, there's only one way of salvation. So that's not one. The other thing that people say you shouldn't talk about is politics. You know, uh, IRS, ACLU is watching you. Man, they could remove your tax-exempt status and all this kind of stuff. I guarantee you Elijah didn't care what that meant. Amen. Jeremiah didn't care about the tax-exempt status or anything like John the Baptist, any of them. Let me explain to you. There's three main things that God's invented or instituted on this earth institutions the family in genesis 2 that's why you see the family is under so much attack it's coming against god's institutions the family is number one the church in acts chapter 2 he established that he said i'll build my church and the gates of hell that's why the church is always under attack and the third one is the government in genesis chapter 9 God does not approve of evil governments, but God will even take evil gov governments and chastise his own people with them. He did his own people Israel. They, a lot of times, got their spankings and their discipline by being under ungodly regimes and governments. Okay, so let's look at what, we, what we're supposed to do. The first thing we're going to talk about, obeying the government, obedience. We've got to go to the New Testament to really get a little bit more in-depth on that, and that's in Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7. This is what Paul said about dealing with those in authority. And remember, Paul's dealing under a dictatorship, so to speak, and the, and the main character was a man named Nero. So he was under an evil government when he said this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. God's established all government authorities. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. That is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone that you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If, you, if revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Okay. That sounds like something we don't really want to hear. Uh, first thing he says, now once again, Paul's saying this underneath the cloud of the Roman oppressive government. All right, he says, first of all, in verse 1, submit that everyone, and that everyone includes us, 
He didn't say, let some of you, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Okay, so every soul, no Christian's exempt. We submit to their authority because God set up that authority, right or wrong. That's why you submit to it. Now, if you don't submit, he said you're going to be condemned, and you're going to have to pay the price okay number two he says not only submit to them support them boy it's getting worse support them with your taxes verses six and seven this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are god's servants who give their full time to governing give to everyone that you owe what you owe them if you owe taxes pay taxes if revenue then revenue if respect then respect if honor then honor now nobody enjoys paying taxes they're, but they're not evil. I'm going to give you the three reasons we hate to pay taxes. We hate to support the government. I'll give you my three reasons anyway. You may have me more than that. <laughs> Number one, we say they're not fair. We have what's called a progressive, I guess you'd say progressive tax system. The more you make, <clears throat> the more a higher percentage you have to pay. Now that sounds good, you know, years ago when they were going for the flat tax and the fair tax and all these other things that would the one some people were saying well, let's do with the flat tax so everybody pays the same percent on on consumption goods and so forth so anyway a lot of people don't like to pay taxes because they say it's not fair be like me going to buy a gallon of milk and because i'm in this income bracket i have to pay 15 dollars for that milk and somebody that's in a lower one they can only pay 25 cents for it they said it doesn't seem fair or, or filling up your car with gas. We got different levels. That ain't right. And that's, that's why a lot of people don't like taxes because they don't think it's fair. Okay, here's the second reason people don't like to pay taxes because the government wastes the money we give them. Good gracious. They're the worst steward on the planet. I'm going to tell you this. If everybody ran their individual house or their individual business like the government, everybody would be bankrupt. We're, we're overspending year after year and want approval to keep overspending and won't, don't want to cut nothing out. It's really ridiculous. Third reason people don't like to pay taxes is immoral, they believe. I don't like my money going to things that go against my principles. I hate that. I hate give money and they're going to do it to something that I, I disagree with totally. So that's the three reasons. So he said, but he says, Submit to the government because it's God's ordinance, God's institution. Support it with your taxes. And then he says something else in another place we're going to go to. Supplicate or pray for it. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 1, 2, and 3. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Okay, so he doesn't just say submit to it and support it with your taxes. He says be praying for it. Pray for those in authority over you. I'm not going to say what I was going to say there. Uh, uh, there's one thing that we need to do. Uh, we do need to be praying. There's one other thing we're supposed to do that Paul doesn't mention. I don't see it in the New Testament because of the government that they were under. We're under a completely different style of government. This ought to be one of them too. Vote. Vote. We have a say in our government. We have a say who, who, who we elect and things like that. God's watching this too, I believe. Uh, I believe 100% of the election process, of all my heart, I believe there's a lot of fraud and, and corruption. Believe me, uh, I, nobody can convince me and tell me anything that makes any sense why it's, it's wrong to make people show their ID to go vote. I, I would love somebody really explain why that's racist or prejudice or something like that. But things like that, we don't, I don't agree with a lot of that, and I've got to be careful. I might have the FBI at my house when I get home. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> many Christians have forsaken their duty and obligation to vote. That's, that's just as much 
and some of these other things because we have a... See, Paul wasn't in a, a government where he could vote or say anything about it. We have a voice. And if you don't use your voice or your ballot or whatever, then shame on you. Is all I can say that. David Barton said this who, uh, under Wall Builders, his organization. He said, there are 60 million evangelicals in this country and 42% didn't vote. That would be 20-something million more votes. This is evangelical Christian, not just those that go by the name of Christian. Let me give you three reasons people don't vote. I've, I've given you three reasons people hate to pay taxes. Here's the three reasons people don't vote. Number one, indifference. You ever heard people say, my vote? What's my vote? It doesn't matter. Goodness, there's only one vote. What's the big deal? Here's what somebody said. I don't know who said it, but it's a good quote. It said, bad leaders are elected by good people that don't vote. In 1960, John F. Kennedy beat Richard Nixon by a total of 113,000 votes. That's less than a, a vote per precinct. Second reason people don't vote is cynicism. You know, they're indifferent. They don't think it matters. Cynicism is the whole system corrupt. Why waste my time? I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican. They're all crooked. If they're not crooked when we vote them in, they'll be crooked in a matter of months. And so you get very cynical. I don't see a big purpose. They're all corrupt and everything in there is corrupt. And uh, all they do is once they get in there is line their pockets with money and figure out ways to stay in power and get, get getting elected. There's, I feel like that a lot of times. Uh, we don't trust what they have to say. They lie. They speak out of both sides of their mouth. You know the old story we grew up with that George Washington, when he chopped down the cherry tree, he never told a lie and all? Uh, somebody said this one time, said George Washington, when he was inaugurated, his acceptance speech, his inauguration speech, lasted one minute and a half. Jay Leno on his show, he says, when a man can't lie as a politician, he don't have much to say. And so, uh, so that might be the way it is. We're very cynical. Number three, a lot of people don't vote and get involved because they, they believe it on religious principles. You know, someone like Jehovah Witness, you know, we don't include them as Christian, but, but they, they don't salute the flag and they don't do a lot of things. They, a lot of people believe like this. Our job as Christians is to be pursuing and enlarging the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. So it doesn't matter what the kingdom of man is doing. We, that ain't our concern one way or another. Our job is to promote the kingdom of God. Well, I agree with that, but if you want to live a life where you've got a chance and you've got a future and things like that, you better be involved in some way, and these ways are the four ways that I can tell you. So we're supposed to pray, pay, uh, and participate in our government. Every chance you get. That's one of the privileges we have. So, obey, obey, obey. Those in authority, even though we don't agree with much of what goes on, submit and obey. That's a big part of it. But, and there's always a but coming, there's a time when you disobey. Now, let's look at uh, verse 3. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Don't just run off and go to another country or say, I, I don't agree with it, so I'm leaving <clears throat> he said, but don't stand up for a bad cause, for he's going to do whatever he pleases. <clears throat> Let's look at that phrase for just a moment. Our job is not to plot to overthrow or, or just leave the country, find a place that agrees with what we, because you'll never find that completely. He says, there are times where you don't stand up for a cause that is not right. Now, <clears throat> Paul's not saying take up arms and go in there and start killing everybody. Uh, Paul, if Paul would have said that, uh, believed that, he would have started doing it himself because he, he would have certainly wanted to do that in the situation he was in. But civil disobedience is something that is thrown, shown throughout the Word of God. There are times you have to stand against the government. You have to stand against what they stand for. And when you do that, you're going to suffer the consequences. But uh, what are you going to do? You're going to do the right thing or do the easy thing. Thomas Jefferson said this, Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Now, they did a, a test, a psychology department in 1963 in Yale University. It was very famous, called, uh, run by Stanley Milgram. 
and they were doing experiments on people, will people stand up and go by their principles if the government tells them to do things that goes against their principles? And what they were thinking about, why didn't the German people stand up against Hitler and all for all those atrocities he was doing? Why didn't the people that were Christians, why didn't they stand up and take a stand? I don't understand it. Well, he did a test, and after all his tests and all the experiments on people and trials and all that, here was his conclusion. On average, people under the right conditions will always obey authority figures despite their moral objections. It's built into us psychologically, he says. People will do what the government says even if it's telling them to do something against what God says. That's what he's saying. Now, let me give you some examples of people that went against those in authority over them. Civil disobedience, I guess is what you would call this. Sometimes you have to do this. The government's going to command you to do something, and you're going to have to say, I'm not going to do it. So we're talking about refusing to do what you're commanded to do. Let me give you a few biblical illustrations on that. The Hebrew midwives, back in Exodus 1. Pharaoh said, these Jews, Jewish people are growing so much number, they're going to take, they outnumber us. Told the midwives, start taking them out as soon as they're born, all the male, boy, the male children. The Hebrew midwives went against it. They did not do what they were commanded to do. Thank God for that. Moses came along, and we, of course he was spared. But they were commanded to do something and did not do it. Here's another one, the wise men. The wise men come following the star looking for the birth of Christ, the king of the Jews. And they come to Herod and they lost the star there. And he said, I don't know, but when you find him, come back and get me because I want to go worship him too. And he said, go find him and come tell me. But they were warned in a dream not to return unto Herod. And they went back to their country another way. They said, you told us to come back and tell you we're not coming. So that's when you go against what the government tells you to do. Here's another situation, Daniel and his friends. Daniel chapter 3, uh, we know the story of the three Hebrew boys. Nebuchadnezzar built this big image, this big idol, and said, everybody's got to bow down and worship me. And they said, we're not going to do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to have to go in the fiery furnace. Well, they went in the fiery furnace, but God went in there with them. But sometimes you have to say, the government says I should do this, and I'm not going to do it. Right, and sometimes you've got to look at the flip side of that. Sometimes the government says, don't do something, and you say, I am going to do it. That's the other side of that coin. Let me give you some examples of that. Peter and John, Acts chapter 4, they were charged by not so much the government, the Jewish council, those in authority, not to teach or speak at all in the name of Jesus. And they said, we can only speak <coughs> what we've seen and heard. We know that the apostles were told not to preach anymore in Jesus' name, and Peter stood up and said, we've got to obey God, not man. So they're being told not to do something, and they said, we're going to do it anyway. Just the opposite of what we just said a moment ago. Here's another case of somebody going to do just the opposite. Uh, when the government says, don't do something, they do it anyway. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel had risen up second in command to King Darius. He, is, he was a great uh, governmental leader the other leaders in the government did not like it they were jealous of him they said let's come up with a law anybody's praise to god or man for the next 30 days it's going to be thrown in the lines then and they and daniel knew it he knew what this decree was he knew what the, the law had been given to said and he never stopped doing what he always did he prayed three times a day like he always did they caught him of course they threw him in the lines then but he says you're telling me I can't do something, I'm going to do it anyway. And here's another situation, Mordecai in the book of Esther. The king had appointed an evil man named Haman in his cabinet, and Haman wanted people to bow down and worship him and things like that, give him the respect he desired. And, and Mordecai said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bow down to you. And of course, we know the rest of that story, but it all worked out. But anyway, there's sometimes... When you don't do it, when the government tells you to do it, and sometimes you do it when the government tells you not to do it. And that's called civil disobedience, and that comes with the territory as a Christian. Here's the third category that he's talking about, discernment in the face of authority. Look at 5b and 6. And the wise heart will know the proper time 
Uh, this is when you have to just discern because of the time, the situation, what's going on. Is this the time I do what I need to do, whatever. Uh, the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Okay, here's the third option, discernment. Uh, each situation is different. You've got to respond differently. Sometimes it's time to quit that job. Sometimes there's a different situation you have to do. It's just you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be led. But let me give you some examples of, of discerning what the situation calls for. Okay, here's some examples. Nathan, now these are situations I don't know. I have to look at it again. I hadn't read it in a while. But Nathan the prophet went up and told David the king, You've been doing wrong, boy. You've, you've committed adultery. I don't know if, if he just felt he needed to do it and, or what, or if God told him to do it, but he said, I'm going to do what I need to do and do it now and just suffer the consequences. John the Baptist went and rebuked Herod there who was shacked up with his brother's wife and all this kind of stuff in adultery, and he called him out, and he called him out. Of course, eventually he got his head cut off uh, down the road because it made him so mad about this. Daniel. Now here's another situation. Daniel, when he was taken into Babylonian captivity, they wanted to make these boys eat food that was not kosher, food they, they didn't want to eat. It was against the law. And so rather than just saying, we're not going to do it, kill us if you had to or whatever, here's what Daniel said. This is what I'm saying, use discernment. Daniel said, let us eat our food, let the others eat y'all's food, and we'll see who looks the best afterwards. We'll make a little deal with you. And they did. And, of course, uh, they looked a lot better and everything. So sometimes it's not always black and white. We're supposed to obey those in authority, even though we don't agree with a lot they do. But there comes a time when your biblical principles are on the line. You've got to be willing to disobey and suffer the consequences. We don't, we don't just overthrow the government. We don't leave the country, go somewhere else. We submit until it comes time that we've got to take a stand. And then the third thing, whether it's on the job or in the country or whatever, be discerning. How's the best way to deal with this situation that you're in that's very uncomfortable and that needs to be addressed? Okay, here's the thing. I talked about disobedience a little bit for today. It's a big thing in life and it's a big thing for Christians. You know, we are here today because of disobedience. Back in the 1500s, Martin Luther and others broke away, called the Protestant Reformation, broke away protesting the abuses of the Catholic Church and some of the false teaching and things they felt went against the Word of God and started the Protestant Reformation. We're Protestants, and, and that whole movement was based on somebody rebelling against authority or disobeying authorities. Here's another situation. We're here as a country because our forefathers said we're not going to submit anymore to King George and we want to start our own country. And they did, and America was born. So some great things have come out of people that stood and drew a line in the sand, we're not going any farther. And it affects us even today. Let me say this. Our government really cracked down on churches during this COVID thing back in 20 and 21. 95 to 98% of all churches shut down the way the government told us to. We just put our services online. Two reasons, two or three reasons we did it. One is there was a lot of fear going on out there and we're not sure what's going on. And uh, the president and everybody asked us to do this uh, because we weren't sure if a pandemic what was going to happen and we didn't want to look like we were spreading something or going to, you know, didn't care about people. So we said we'll do it in submission to the government and also to show the world that we care about them too. All right. So we did that. 98% of churches did that. But then the government began to overstep itself. They treated churches worse than they did other establishments. 
This is, I've got a long list of these churches, but I'll just read you. These were, this was some Baptist churches. Wilmington, North Carolina. The city banned the church from having service altogether. It was unsafe. They didn't have a choice in it. Greenville, Mississippi. They banned church services, and police officers issued, issued $500 tickets or fines for those that showed up. Kansas. They forbade churches from holding gatherings of 10 or more. Couldn't have over 10 people there. While allowing secular establishments such as bars, restaurants, and libraries and shopping malls to exceed that number. Dedham, Massachusetts sent a cease and desist order letter to a church that was planning on having a meeting of less than 10 people. In Oregon, church auditorium could host an exercise class of any size but would get fined and jail-awaited pastors if 25 people congregated in that same auditorium that they were using for exercise classes. Nevada chose to reopen the casinos at 50% capacity, but the government still forbid churches from going at 50% capacity. What I'm saying is we tried to be submissive, and then authorities began to oppress and come against the church. Now, a lot of people believe this was just a trial run of something coming in the future. Amen. When they say, we won't see how they respond. If we put the fear out there and we tell them what to do, you can't work here, you can't do this. You, in the military, you get out of the military if you don't do this. and all. We're going to see how much they'll submit to us. And they, they were, it was a test run. I don't know, but I don't doubt that whatsoever. Amen. Here's what I'm saying. All of us have to make tough decisions as Christians. In the years to come, it's going to be tougher. Tougher questions, I'm telling you that. Uh, you're going to either follow your conscience or God's word, or you're going to submit when they're asking you to go against it. We're blessed to live in this country. This is a great country. I'm very thankful to be an American. Amen. I'm thankful for our freedoms, freedom of the press, even though we see the press nowadays seems to have a different agenda. I'm thankful for freedom of speech, even though it seems like in the last few years the speech of conservatives has been squashed. Freedom of religion, even though we see that sometimes Christians are being persecuted more and more in this land of the free. Freedom of assembly, uh, to congregate, to, to protest and things like that. These are freedoms that made this country great, that separates us from all other countries on the face of the earth. And what I'm saying is these freedoms were purchased by people that gave their life. Young people didn't come home to their wife or family but laid down their life. Memorial Day is a big thing. We sometimes just say, well, it's another time to get off work or do this or that. I'm going to close with one more little clip about Memorial Day, and then we'll come and wrap it up. Words are even more feeble on this Memorial Day, but the sight before us is that of a strong and good nation that stands in silence and remembers those who were loved and who in return love their countrymen enough to die for them. The willingness of some to give their lives so that others might live never fails to evoke in us a sense of wonder and mystery. And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions we must strive to keep faith with them and with a vision that led them to battle and a final sacrifice. Our first obligation to them and ourselves is plain enough. The United States and the freedom for which it stands, the freedom for which they died, must endure and prosper. Their lives remind us that freedom is not bought cheaply. It has a cost. It imposes a burden. And just as they whom we commemorate were willing to sacrifice, so too must we. Winston Churchill said of those he knew in World War II, 
They seemed to be the only young men who could laugh and fight at the same time. A great general in that war called them our secret weapon, just the best darn kids in the world. Each died for a cause he considered more important than his own life. Well, they didn't volunteer to die. They volunteered to defend values for which men have always been willing to die if need be. And how they must have wished, in all the ugliness that war brings, that no other generation of young men to follow would have to undergo that same experience. As we honor their memory today, let us pledge that their lives, their sacrifices, their valor shall be justified and remembered for as long as God gives life to this nation. to know the words of all the national anthems in the world but I don't know of any other that ends with a question and a challenge as ours does does that flag still wave for the land of the free and the home of the brave just stand Last night was not a good night at our house. My daughter and son and grandchildren, son-in-law, grandchildren left about four in the morning. I didn't get any sleep. And he's serving the country, but I'm thankful they're still alive. There's some that never came home. So let's don't just take this for granted, all that it means. Let's serve our Lord and have a part in our country, our voice, a prayer, and do our part as Christians, as godly people. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for remembering those who helped shape a nation and shape our own lives. May we determine that we're going to be great citizens and obey when we don't agree. But sometimes we're going to take a stand when we get pushed and stand for righteousness and let the chips fall where they may and give us the wisdom, God, to discern the difference, when to do it and when not, so we can truly please you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy Memorial Day. Please sign up on the bulletin board for the financial peace. <laughs>